and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Dillman. And I'm Stephen Craig. So as we were talking about last week is we're going to do a kind of live discussion of our super simple power supply build talking about how the digital and analog interface is going to work. Live design. Yeah, live design. I've actually done zero prep for this. I think Steven's got some schematics. I I pulled a schematic that has maybe 10 parts on it. So uh, <laughs> just maybe one step ahead of you. Just one tiny step. Just one time. Can, can I see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, he just handed me the schematic. This is for some... I've seen, oh, it's just the op amps and some resistors. Exactly. So it really doesn't even tell us a, no, it, a whole lot. No, it doesn't. But it at least gives us some somewhere to start. Okay, so let's say... Um, it's, it's, I guess the first thing to go for is, uh, let's talk about how do we control the voltage output of the device, of the op amp. And so it's going to be what signal do we have to give the op amp from the digital side to do our varying voltage. Right. Well, okay, so the digital side is going to have to create some kind of analog signal to pass off to the, the power op amps. Uh, so now we're just trying to come up with, I guess, a scheme. You know, is it, are we doing 0 to 5 volts? Are we doing negative 10 to positive 10? Or what, what we, we just don't know yet. Yeah. So uh, what's going to be the best way for, for giving the op, what does the op amp want to do our, our, our output? Well, okay. So, so let's, let's take a step back and, and, and look at this, the op amp design. It, basically, it's, an inverting op amp configuration, uh, just a, a really massive op amp on the output. Yep. Uh, it's powered by positive and negative 35 volts, okay. uh, so you can give it bipolar signal, uh, and it's just AC-DC output. Okay. Uh, and so there's nothing particularly special there. We can apply gain to it. Uh, we don't necessarily have to. Okay. Uh, we could always feed it a full-scale signal and have a gain of one. And so, you know, if you put 35 volts in, it would spit 35 volts out. That's going to be a little hard to do. Right. Or, you know, if you put a, let's say we had a signal that uh, we apply 10 times gain, you could put 3.5 volts and get 35 yeah, on that's, the output. I think something that, because uh, on the digital end, we're going to have 3.3 volt max. Okay. So a gain of 3.3 times to th uh, 35 volts. So it's going to be a little bit above 10. Right. Well, okay, something we got to remember, this power supply, each output is bipolar. Yes. It can swing the full negative 35 to positive 35. So we have to go... I, you know, it sounds more like we need a discrete, um, like a DAC... Yeah, that's that's probably going to service us the best. Yeah, like a uh, a fast uh, digital analog converter. Yeah. And then just talk serially to that. Mm hmm And that way we can actually just make a sine wave if we're doing AC and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's probably the best. I, I think what's what the big trip up is going to be is honestly not not getting voltage out, but but where's our zero? You get what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, so in, in other words, let's say we had a DAC that had an output of 0 to 5 volts, just as an example. Yep. You could put your 0 right in the middle at 2.5, and, and if you so if you wrote 2.5 to the DAC, then mm -hmm. you'd get 0 on your output. 
Anything below two and a half would be negative voltage. Anything above would be positive. That's just an example. We could we could run something like that, or we could actually apply an offset in analog, and so you could still write zero to five volt, and then we apply a two and a half volt offset. Yeah, we can do we can do the uh, um we use like a sixteen bit DAC. Uh, which would be plenty of resolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could do- totally do basically halfway is the um, halfway is the uh, zero volt. Sure. So so actually, yeah, that 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 sounds like a good idea. Um, when it comes to this really beefy output op amp, uh, I think from the, an analog perspective, it's probably a good idea not to put a lot of gain on the output. Correct. So that we can maintain as much stability as possible. Yeah, and it will lower the noise. Right. So I'm almost of the opinion right now that we should leave the output at a gain of one, the the, the big monster output. Just have okay. it at basically a throughput, and we can have an, a, an op amp in front of that that applies all the gain. Oh, like a high precision uh, gain amplifier? Yeah, so so if you think about it, uh, if you, if, I guess since we're just, you know, we don't have the ability to write down things right now. Think about it from, from left to right in your mind. You have the digital control. Uh-huh. That talks to a DAC. That DAC would then have its, uh, I'm sorry, A to, A to D, not a DAC. Oh, yeah, you're right. A to no, D. I'm sorry, other way around. My, my yeah, bad. Yeah. Uh, D to A. D to A. And then that would send off to an op amp that has a, some gain to it. That op amp would then go to the output op amp. Okay. Uh, and and that would allow us to achieve the full full scale range. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. Um, and then on the digital side of that, it would be really cool to basically you would um, for feedback mm-hmm. is you would read your output from your DAC mm-hmm. and the output of the whole system. Oh, so you can error correct. Yes, yeah, so you can error correct oh, uh, cool. in case there's any uh, temperature drift. Yeah. Yeah. And so actually, it's going to happen. No matter how well designed we make this thing, there is going to be some drift. Well, and and the tolerance of all the components is just, it's not going to be spot on. Yeah. So it almost sounds like uh, you could have like a calibration routine where it could actually, uh, you know, go, step through uh, all the values and kind of almost make a lookup table for everything. Yeah, it'll, it, you, it could probably auto build its lookup table. Yeah. For what its gain actually is. Yeah, that's that's actually pretty cool, yeah. And, uh, well, okay, so if you think about that, if we set, um, if we say that we're using a, a DAC with a 5-volt reference voltage, therefore our, our center point or our zero point would be 2.5 volts, we would need 2.5 volt to go, to be gained up to 35 volts, right? Yes. So, I got my calculator no, here. No, 2.5 volts is zero. Right, but, but you swing 2.5 volts up and down from 2.5 oh, volts. Okay, yeah, I got it. I got right, it. so if you divide 35 by 2.5, we're going to need a gain of 14. Okay. Uh, which, that's, that's not that... That's not a huge gain. That's probably not going to add a ton of noise if we, if we choose a good op amp. Uh, sounds, sounds fairly reasonable. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Cool. Um, and now... So that's voltage control. So we have feed, how we want to do the feedback. Yeah. The voltage. Now, current limiting and current control. Right. So how does that op... I know that op amp, uh, the OPA1 
five four uh five four one five four one has current limiting built in that's correct how do we control that though or is it set and that's it well okay so uh the the op amp kind of has oh crap current limiting okay uh where it it basically has a uh it, it its output is actually fed across a low value resistor uh, such that it reads across a base junction inside the op amp. Okay. And once it reaches 0.7 volts or whatever that base junction is, then it just kind of shuts off. It, it basically ramps it down. Uh, so it's it's a it's a it's not a really good current limit. No, it's a you just short circuited the whole thing. Yeah, you, you done messed up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so what what we could do is because we already have that resistor in play. We could actually just read the voltage off across that resistor, and read uh, and have a feedback into our controller. Okay. Yeah, that'll work. Yeah. Uh, so that'll at least tell us what the current is. Yep. Yeah, that'll probably work. Mm-hmm. And we just and we'll just dial the voltage back for that to keep the current at what it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, um, that'll work. Because I because yeah I, I don't think we're going to be able to actually physically control the resistance. Yeah, and so. The way, because we'll be using the, the to measure basically the voltage outputs of of the DAC and the op amp, we'll be using single ended ADCs. We right. probably want to use a differential though to measure that resistor. Yes, yeah, you're right because because current can flow either direction. Yeah, and well, it's not really either direction. It's just you get a much uh, with diff- usually with differential ADCs, you get a, a bigger um, your your resolution is a lot higher. Yeah, because yeah. you it basically uses almost the same circuitry inside, except um, uh, the voltage differentials it's measuring is a lot smaller. Instead of zero to five volts, it's measuring like you know fifty millivolts max difference. Right, right, and it and it has uh, really good common mode rejection. Yes. So so you get better noise performance out of a diff amp as opposed to uh, something else. And and the resistor on the o- output of the op amp that I, I have right now on our board is only 300 milliohms. Um, and I think, if I, I can't remember the calculation off the top of my head, but that's I believe that sets the current limiting at a few amps. Uh, so it's even going to be smaller than that in the real power supply. Yep. Uh, so we're not, I mean, we got a really low resistance here. Cool. So I think that's all the things we need to control on the op amp side. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like a scheme that could work well. Yeah. Now, and you've been working on the uh, the regulated power supply that powers the power supply. Right. So, the, yeah, the, these op amps, <laughs> since they have a 35-volt positive-negative rail, they got to get that from somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. And it's uh, got to be beefy. Because it's got to be able to pump out all the power. Yeah, it's got to be very beefy. Yeah, because we're talking three of these op amps in parallel per channel. Yeah. So six of these guys. Yeah, yeah. And this is not something that you can, you know, pull out your uh, 7805 regulator and, and put on <laughs> this. This is a, it's got to be able to supply continuous 35 volt 10 amp. Um, this this regulated power supply, so it's it's gonna it's effectively gonna have to be a, a beefy 
pass through transistor style with a with an error amplifier. Yeah, and you were designing this in a multisim earlier this week. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so been playing around more with multisim, and uh, to be honest, I'm I'm loving I'm loving every minute of it. It's working out really really well. Uh, so. I got a. I have a uh, a regulated power supply uh, simulated up right now, both a positive and a negative 35 volt. And uh, I've I in the simulation stress test it, and as of right now, it's holding steady at 35 volt and putting out uh, uh, eight, eight no 700 watts. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, uh, it's 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 absolutely beefy. You're uh, you're also um. Is that simulated the transformers too? Yes, absolutely. If you if you're doing a if you're doing a, a you know a line voltage regulated supply, you gotta have the transformer in there. And and I went far enough that I'm not using an ideal transformer. I actually um, from the transformer that we've selected uh, in the, in the data sheet, it gives um, numbers that you can calculate the coil resistance. Yeah, and, and the uh, what do they call the uh, power loss factor? Yeah, I think the power loss factor uh, applies when you're talking about from the primary to the secondary. Okay. Basically, uh, the 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 core has some kind of magnetic um, saturation, yep. or or a, basically a minimum current for the transformer to play its game effectively. <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. just consider it that. And so, at no load, the transformer actually draws like 12 watts. <laughs> so it's a it's a beefy beefy transformer, but but even with uh, taking into consideration the uh, resistance of the secondary coils, I'm still able to maintain um, the 35 uh, volt regulation. Yeah, those transformers are 16 pounds each. Yeah, and we went with the uh, toroidal actually. Yeah, donuts. Yeah, uh, donut transformers keep the noise down. Uh, yeah. a little bit more efficient, and and actually the manufacturer that we uh, we've selected for it, they claim that these transformers can actually be stressed 20% higher than their rated values. So. And I think we're under their rated values, too. Yes, so we'll yes. Be... We, we engineered a bit of fat into the design. Yeah. Um, we actually had two of these transformers as well in this guy. Right. So it's thirty pound, 32 pounds of just transformers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and, and, and we had to, to get the ripple... To um, from the uh, rectifier to get it to an acceptable level, we had to put in forty thousand microfarads worth of capacitance. So. Yeah, I've got um, actually I've been modeling up all this stuff that that Stephen needs in in SketchUp to make sure all this stuff will actually fit, along with all the cooling uh, that we need. Because I, I expect like a ginormous one hundred forty millimeter um, by two hundred eighty millimeter by 80 millimeters so it's a huge radiator with two huge fans on it and i think and that guy can cool about 400 to 500 watts which is that's about a little bit over than what we need which that's probably a good thing yeah it's gonna be a good thing yeah um but yeah so the 3d layout's also pretty much done it's looking pretty good yeah and uh you're actually gonna be having an article right yeah yeah we should be releasing an article uh tomorrow um, today's Thursday, so we released an article tomorrow on that. Yeah, so it's actually going to come out the day that you listen to this podcast. You're right. You're right. <laughs> we record. We record the, the the day before. Yes. See, I've made that mistake before, 
Now you made that mistake. So we're even. <laughs> yeah. So so we yeah, we'll have an article with it, uh, and and in the article we're going to be talking about uh, just some some bullet points on handling the the heat that we're generating in here, and uh, and you'll be able to see the uh, simulations that I got for the uh, power supply. Yeah, it's a uh, going to be a pretty good article. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, and then uh, so I think that's pretty much done on that end. Oh yeah, the giant bridge rectifiers that you found. What's the package name? Do you remember what the package name for those guys are? Oh, man. They're big, though. Like, two inches by two inches by, like, a quarter inch thick giant bridge rectifiers that we can basically bolt right to the copper block. Yeah, they're really great. They have excellent thermal bonding internal. Yep. Uh, so, honestly, you can't uh, you can't ever uh, neglect cooling down your rectifier. Those things get hot. Yeah, especially with how much uh, amperage we're pulling through those guys. That's right. I think they're probably a little overkill. I think they're also like $34, something like that, a piece. Well, the thing is, uh, if we're running at our max load, our current pulses that come in, they're about 8 milliseconds long uh, each pulse, and they're 45 amps. <laughs> so, yeah. so we have to... The, these are a little bit overkill, but we still needed some big yeah. rectifiers. And also, speaking of the pulses, is um, we're actually I, I'm still trying to debate whether or not to actively cool our capacitors because they're going to get a little warm uh, because of how much current surging is going you know happen through them. Yeah, and I've actually been thinking about taking a block of aluminum and milling out the I think the 1.4 millimeter uh, 1.4 inch holes. Mm-hmm. And then basically slathering them in thermal grease and sliding them into it, just so that it has a uh, a heat sink basically for all the caps. Yeah, it might be a bit overkill. This whole thing is a bit. The whole overkill. thing is overkill. <laughs> uh, I've been working on that uh, your uh, FX dev board a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, got the enclosure mostly designed. The three D modeling is at least done. I got a basically draw up a mechanical diagram that I can send over to the machine shop mm-hmm. and then they can build it. They can't look at SketchUp and go, oh yeah, we can build that. Not too bad. Yeah, you gotta basically give them what uh, since it's going to be made uh, stamp steel, basically going to draw it out how it is at when they stamp it out and then show them where they need to fold the uh, corners. Yeah. And that should be about it. Have you, have you actually... Um... So the way you drew it up in Google SketchUp, have you ever um, played with SolidWorks at all? I've never used SolidWorks. SolidWorks has a really cool function where you can draw it all up, and then you press a button, and it'll automatically fold it out. Oh, that's cool. And, and it just gives you a DXF. It's I amazing. I wish SketchUp had that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I'd be already done. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you showed me earlier this week, I think it was on Monday, you built a discrete op amp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I found a um, on. Uh, it's not my design. I'm, I'm I, I gotta preference it by saying that uh, on the website um, DIY Stomp Boxes, they have an, a, a thread going on about a discrete op amp um, that that has some pretty cool applications in in the audio world, uh, specifically the guitar world. And I saw that. I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to make one of these. This is super cool. But I wanted it to be directly uh, able to replace a an op amp, like a TL071 style op amp, a mm-hmm. single package. Uh, so I built a board that's the size of a dip 
eight package yeah, yeah. and did the whole op amp on that and you can literally just pull uh, pull an op amp out and plug this directly in it's a drop-in replacement but it's all discreet it's a double-sided assembly right oh yeah yeah um i thought it was pretty cool yeah 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 i uh i'm hoping to throw it in a uh, stomp box that i've been building and, and uh, see what it does swap out your your op amps for that discreet guy yeah yeah and and i want to i'm if that works well i kind of want to make a dual stacked pcb that has two op amps in it so you can mm -hmm. replace a dual package which are a bit more common than the single packages and actually that got us on the topic of um five for five timers yeah and there's a couple discrete five for five timer designs out there but they're all you know big and usually for for educational uses yeah but would it be possible to build a discrete five for five timer uh that's the same size as a dip eight package now there's a lot more stuff in there than a normal op amp. It's got a lot more transistors. Yeah. A lot of resistors. Yeah. No capacitors. No, no, it doesn't have any caps. That's good because caps can get big. Yes. Um, you'd have to get pretty small on all your parts. Yeah. So I did a little bit of research, and I found that the smallest discrete BJT I found was the. Uh, the 2SCR523V1T2L. If you couldn't tell, I was reading off a sheet of paper because <laughs> uh, I could not memorize that. And it's a DFN style package, which is reading off a sheet of paper VML0806 3, uh, which I had no idea what. Oh, I got it now. Yeah, just dawned So the physical size is is. 0.8 millimeter by 0.6 millimeter by 0.3. Go figure. Yeah, derp. <laughs> I like how you were just about to say, I don't know why they chose that. Yeah, it just dawned on me on that. <laughs> now, I don't know what the VML is from. Uh, it's made by... Oh. I cannot remember the manufacturer. Is it one of the big guys? No. Yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> Anyways, I figured out why they named the numbers at least. <laughs> but that's that's for all. It's, it's effectively half a, a millimeter by half a millimeter. I mean, yeah. it's a little bit bigger, but yeah. that's tiny. And it's a DFN style, so all the pads are underneath. So technically, you can pretty much button them up right next to each other. Yeah. Your assembly house will probably hate you. But you can do that. <laughs> so are you gonna try to make a five five five? I think I'm gonna try to build one. And that with those transistors. Wow. Now, it probably won't have the same, you know, if you drop it in, it'll probably work differently. Like, yeah. the timings will be off because I'm not going to be able to use the exact same, you know, BJTs. Sure. That they have in there. But I think it'd be pretty good extras. And might have to use your <laughs> idea of double stacking yeah. boards to get yeah. more logic in there. Yeah. I mean, once you start looking at how small a dip eight is, it gets. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, give it a shot. That sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, does this co is this uh, both NPN and PNP? Um, I think they just have NPNs, but cool. I think there's a one that's like a point eight by one millimeter, and you can get a PNP in that package. Too. Okay. And it's same DFN style. Everything's underneath. Yeah. And then you know use like O two O one resistors. Come yeah, on, O one O five. We can build that, but. I mean, the thing about 01005s, at least uh, 
from what I've seen, is that you don't actually gain that much real estate. No, not really. Because your pads actually aren't that much smaller than the 0201 pads. Yeah. And there are, I don't think there are any 01005 caps yet. Very few 0201s. You only get like 0.1 mics and a couple of the small guys. Yeah. Well, and we do 0201s pretty uh, regularly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Microfab assembles 0201. Uh, o- yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we do 0402s all the time. Yeah, and, uh, we, and we do 0201s. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, I'm going to try, try working on that maybe next week. <laughs> okay. RFO section, rapid fire opinions. So, Microchip published a USB mass storage loader. Mm-hmm. Which kind of works like a USB stick where you basically plug in your device, dump a hex file, and it automatically loads it. Hey, that's nifty. Yeah, um, it's nifty, but this is stuff has been around for a long time. There's a <laughs> lot of different platforms that use this kind of style. Yeah. Um, we've actually used one at work before like this. Uh-huh. Uh, so how Microchip does it is you actually have two microcontrollers. One acts as the programming bridge, so when you dump it, it goes onto that chip as a mass storage, and then that guy pushes the bits over and programs the other pick. Uh, that kind of sounds like cheating in a way. Yeah, it is, because there's actually a lot of these kind of mass loader kind of things actually work that way. Yeah. Um, now, we have used ST, uh, ST, was it? STMs? Yeah, STMs that have this, that has this stuff, but it's all in one chip. Mm-hmm, yeah. And it's like, and, uh, like, even, like, you can dump Python scripts on these guys. Right. And just, you just drop it onto it, and it works. Well, yeah, right, right, right. So, I think Microchip is a little late to the game on this. Well, uh, but isn't, isn't Microchip, aren't they trying to do this as a way for... Loading your hex directly onto the chip. Yes, because I think you you open up your USB and then you drop your hex and it and and it just auto programs basically. Correct. Okay. Yeah. But it, but but I but I don't think it works like the STMs where you can load a script and then just run that program. That's true. So you know I don't know. Seems uh seems kind of interesting. Yeah, it's it's one of those if you already have your computer there, mm. why can't you just run the programmer and get rid of one of the microcontrollers? Yeah, it seems a little excessive. Yeah, I don't really see the, uh, I guess, appeal to to that process. Yeah. It sounds expensive hardware-wise. <laughs> and then uh, we're going to continue with ragging on microchip. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I installed MP Lab, I think, for like the fourth time at work on a different computer hmm. and they changed the logos for the icons again <laughs> yeah. um, and I was like I only noticed it first time because I haven't used Pix a lot and then I asked Steven I'm like hey they changed the logo and he's like again <laughs> so apparently they've done how many times have they changed the logos uh, this is this is easily the fourth or fifth logo <laughs> that I've seen for sure and, and I've only been dealing with Pix for probably five years or so yeah it's um the lo- new logo is kind of like a badge almost too. Yeah, it's like a, a like a sheriff badge look. 
to it. Oh, and what was wrong with their MP Lab X logo? I mean, it was all like futuristic and uh it kind of looked like 90s extreme <laughs> yeah oh, actually it kind of did because <laughs> um, it was like mp lab x and x was ginormous <laughs> <laughs> uh so what yay nay they look good it's just why do they need to change it again yeah so uh, none of the logos have have been bad it's just why can't there be consi- consistency? Yeah, I guess I never looked at an icon and be like, "That's a n- bad looking icon." Yeah. <laughs> also, also, this is the, you know, that's an interesting thing about IDEs. When it comes down to programming, whatever you're playing around with, why do I need to keep downloading tons of IDEs? Like, what is changing that I need to download? It's literally I write my code and I push it into my chip. I mean, I could do that with with stuff that's ten years old. Yeah. Like, well, there's bug fixes and that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I understand that, but can it just be an update as opposed to like a whole brand new package? Uh, yeah, I, I see that. Yeah. I so, guess it depends on how much. Well, MP Lab, they kind of fix that kind of, I guess, because you have to download the compiler separately now. Yeah. And I always didn't like that. Well, I think they have a they have like a pay to play compiler. I think they have like a, a regular compiler, and then they have what they they call the high C compa- ah. compiler, and and they show that like if you if you get their special compiler, then it uses thirty percent less RAM or something oh. like that. Oh, because the compiler basically when you install NP Lab, it says, "Do you want to go to the microchip website and download your compilers now?" And it's like, uh, I thought this had compilers. <laughs> yeah, right. So you have to go to the website and download. You can download the free ones there. Yeah. But I've always liked basically like TIs, their Code Composer Studio stuff, where when you get the stuff, you get everything and yes. it all works and you don't have to configure anything. Whereas with MP Lab, you have to install the compiler and make sure it works. And then get a link stuff. Yeah, and link it all up. Yeah. Eh. Annoying. Reduce friction. <laughs> always a good thing. Yeah. Okay, and then. Uh, there was some uh, interesting uh, development for flexible circuits. Mm-hmm. So flexible circuits are really cool. Uh, we already have flexible PCBs. But the problem with them is generally the metal you put in them isn't flexible, the copper. Mm-hmm. And so eventually over, you know, 10,000 cycles, your flex circuit wears out. Right. Um, which should make sense. Which makes sense. You basically got metal bending. Mm-hmm. And well, there's a maximum bend radius on any of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if they made it out of tool steel. You wouldn't get much flex, but it can flex forever. <laughs> you mean the actual <laughs> copper traces? Or tool steel traces? Tool steel traces. That sounds like a giant pain. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. It would flex for a while, though. Same stuff you make uh, leaf springs out of in trucks. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> Uh, researchers at the Center of Neuro... was it? Prosthetics? Yeah, At the... Oh, God. The uh, Ecole Polytechnic <laughs> Federal de Lasani. Y- you took French in high school, didn't you? Yeah, I totally did. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they developed this new metal. Basically, it's a alloy of gallium and, and gold. And so gallium at room temperature is is a liquid. Gold's not. And I guess they mixed them into an alloy that's kind of liquidous and kind of not. 
and they basically made it so they can bond to silicon and they can make flexible circuits. And they have a really cool video of basically a grid of LEDs and it like expands up in a big bubble and everything's still working. Hmm. It's really cool looking. Um, I guess that's the, uh, the fifth state of matter, kind of liquid, kind of not. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's that's cool. I wonder what the applications for something like that, like where's that gonna go? You can do well. Any you could wear. Um, uh, you can make it wearables, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, or prosthetics, flexible screens. Yeah. Um, or just like oh, balloons. Like party balloons. Blinky party balloons. You know, I'm sure there's loads and loads of research money going into party balloons. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they that's you know why they've done this. You know what's funny? Of all the things we said, I betcha LED party balloons would sell the best. <laughs> and and get the most amount of return money. Over like prosthetic limbs and all these other exactly. things. Exactly. Stuff that actually helps humanity. No party balloons. That actually helps humanity. Party balloons will probably make more money. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna quit. I'm starting LED party balloons. <laughs> uh so <laughs> um uh, uh over the weekend I uh I was with my parents. Okay. And my my mom had this really weird iPhone case for iPhone six. Okay. And I was looking at it. I'm like, what is this thing? It says Lumi on the back and it has a button and you press it and it has LEDs all the way around the front side of the case that light up. Why? And I asked my mom, I'm like, what's this for? And she's like, it's for taking selfies. Oh no. (laughs) Oh gosh. And she's like, the Kardashians love it. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, why'd you buy this? <laughs> they found a product that's worse than a selfie stick. Yeah, worse than a selfie stick. Oh, my mom owns one of those, too. Oh, gosh. She owns a selfie stick and a selfie cell phone case. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It, it reminds me of those um, old-timey, like, makeup. Uh, like a like, vanity? Vanity mirror. Yeah. yeah. It's that kind of style, except with lots of little LEDs. Gotcha. That is... Why? why? So some engineer had to sit out there and actually design Design this thing, yeah. Oh, what a poor soul. Yeah. Um, And I was was thinking, it's like, blinky LEDs. You know, I'm always a big fan of blinky LEDs, but I think that's just gone too far. They're ruined, though. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I wonder, this isn't this, you know, as we design stuff we keep you know adding in blinky leds because that's kind of like the cool thing like i'm actually looking at all the recording equipment and it's got bar graphs and meters and a lot of blinking stuff which is really cool to look at i wonder if there's ever going to be a movement for none of that uh you know like uh, you mean like an aesthetic design in electronics for, yeah for the non-blinky yeah for the non-blinky leds Oh, it's called Apple. <laughs> it's called Apple. <laughs> well, no, they got the Apple glowy logo on the back of their lids. That that is, yeah, you're right. Because but because do, everyone needs to know that you are on an Apple. Yeah, but they do hide a lot of them. They they laser 
little tiny micro drills into it and they put an LED behind it so you can't actually see the LED unless it's on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the only LED you can see is the one that lets everyone know you own an apple. <laughs> uh, okay, and uh, to finish up the uh, RFO section for this week is uh, there was an internet poll. It's kind of not related to electrical engineering, but it's an interesting article anyways. Well, it sort, sort of is. Yeah, it deals with the internet. Um, there was a poll to name that new $288 million research Arctic vessel. Uh, a, a basic contest for the name. And the current winner of the contest is the RRS Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> and the funny thing is, it wasn't actually the internet who originally came up with the name. It was a DJ in Britain tweeted about it and made like made a fun of, of the contest. Yeah. And the internet ran with it. <laughs> of course they did. Of course they did. <laughs> We should we should all learn from these kind of mistakes that you cannot let the internet make decisions for you. Exactly. Never let the internet make any kind of decision. No. And if you do, you need to make sure that one IP address per vote. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There's been a lot of instances where people just hammer stuff. Anonymous will catch wind of it and it's game over after that. Exactly. Um, but this goes into... What happened early? I mean, early uh, later this week, I think it was yesterday, was Microsoft had this AI on Twitter called uh, Tay Tweets, and it was supposed to it's supposed to be a research project so that they can make their automated calls better. Okay. And basically, it would learn from people talking to it of how it should react and how it should talk back. And it basically went from an innocent teenager to a Hitler-loving sex robot in 24 hours. <laughs> I mean, the stuff this thing was tweeting was insane. Yeah, it's, it's almost just like horrible stuff. Yeah, it's terrible. It's like one of those they seriously let this thing loose and didn't even monitor it for 24 hours. So it looks like it goes from a research <laughs> uh, project in in you know AI or whatever to more of like a social experiment. Yeah, because like you got to think like. Once it started rolling, they would they would either cut it or stopped putting that stuff into its database. Yeah, well, you know, ne you or never they would know. just had a human sitting there and uh, at least approving what it tweets out. <laughs> well, you never know. Maybe it was part of the research thing where it's like we're gonna let this go and see where it gets. That's true. No matter what, and yeah. it went really south. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. Ah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Never let the internet make any kind of decision for you. No. If that's anything you take away from our podcast, that would be it. <laughs> Out of all the podcasts. <laughs> all of them. Even future ones. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's going to wrap up this week's uh, Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Steven. Catch you all next time. Take it easy.